0: Hey, whether you are sitting in the room with me today or checking this out online, can I just say, welcome to Horizon. I'm really glad that you are here. Because as I was standing in the back and just singing with you, it it struck me how much I love worshiping with you guys. And I've loved this Hebrews series and how we keep hearing that, that Jesus is bigger, better, and more breathtaking than anything I could imagine. Like like we just saying, he is altogether wonderful. And to be honest, it, it sounds like when I say that out loud, it, it feels like I'm overselling it. But as we've gone through about the first four chapters of this book, it's like, but there it is <laughs> on every line of every page, you know, that we have seen that he is the king forever, that he is the cosmic creator God, and yet that he was not ashamed to become human, to call us brothers and sisters. And it keeps using that word better all the way through, that he was better than Moses, better than the law, that we could never live up to, but that Jesus kept and fulfilled perfectly so that by the time we got to chapter 4 last week, it's describing how we can rest because of the good work that he has done. Which makes it all the more, I think, shocking, all the more powerful that this God This Jesus that Hebrews has been showing us, the the entire Bible has been preparing for him the whole time, that everything has been about him as it's quoting from Psalms and pulling stories from Numbers, and today we'll see things that are like right out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that it's not like there was some different kind of strange God in the Old Testament, but thank goodness Jesus is here now. Hebrews is showing us this is who God has always been, and this is who Jesus has always been and he wants to be altogether lovely, altogether wonderful to you as your Savior. And so the passage that we ended up with last week, kind of the, the point we left off of in uh, chapter 4, 12, and 13, said, For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh no. You feel that? It's like, can we go back to the, um, the rest thing, right? Weren't we just talking about rest? And he's got this moment where he's basically telling you, you know, whatever it is you've done, whatever it is you've thought, whatever the motive was behind that, even when you act like you're doing good things, but you're doing it for attention, or you know, whatever all these little things are, it's like he's telling you, you can hide them from your friends. You can hide them from your family. Maybe you can hide it from your spouse. You can even hide it from yourself. You can't hide it from God. I don't know about you, but if I stop even for five seconds, Man, there's a lot of things in my life that would make me say, Oh no, what do I do? Well, our passage today, Hebrews gives us a very straightforward solution for this. Look at chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then, so so right on the heels of that, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, he highlights essentially two key instructions for us there that are going to set the tone for the next few chapters of the book of Hebrews. Number one, hold fast to your confession. And number two, come boldly to the throne of grace. And we're gonna dig into those today because they really do kinda set the framework for the next few chapters. And, and as we do that, I, I mean, I look at that and I think, that sounds awesome, but right after that thing about everything is open and we have to give an account to God and like you start to feel that tension again and the law starts to creep in on you and your failure starts to creep in on you and your memory and your regret, then he brings us this piece about a high priest so that when it says, hold fast your confession, come boldly to the throne of grace, I'm asking, how? Because in my worst moment, I don't feel like I can come boldly before God at all. Hey, God, we need to talk. I mean, I'm so sorry, I probably shouldn't even be here, right? How do we do it? Well, look at those same verses. Look at what he highlights. We can hold fast to our confession in verse 14 because we have a great high priest. In fact, that is an ongoing verb, which means we have had, we now have, and we always will have a great high priest. And then in verse 16, we can come boldly to the throne because in verse 15, it says we have a high priest who can sympathize, that he understands our weakness, that he has compassion for us. So the solution that Hebrews presents is that we have Jesus as our high priest. And so the rest of what we're going to look at today, going into chapter 5, really talks about the high priest so I think what I want to do is, I just want to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And so they're not going to be on the screen, but if you have your, your Bible with you, or if you pull it up on that Bible app, I'm reading from the New King James, or you can just listen and follow along. I want, to, I want to kind of get this all as one clean chunk, and then we'll go back down and break it a bit, break it down a bit. So he says, chapter 5, verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Which I never realized that the Bible talks about me, but it's right there. Those who are ignorant (laughs) and going astray. Oh my goodness, that's been me, right? Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. So even the high priest needs forgiveness. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, this being Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, To him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Which is like right at the end of that. That, That's our passage for this morning. And right at the end of that, he's throwing a little shade to his audience. He says, we're going to talk about Melchizedek, which we we have a lot to say, but it's hard to explain. Which is like, I've studied this. I think it's hard to explain because it's just a tricky topic. But he says, it's hard to explain because, well, you guys are dull of hearing. (laughs) So I want I to do this for you. You know, one of the things that we've been doing in this series is, is handing out this Bible Study Tips bookmark. So that's actually in your program again today. You can grab this online. You can grab one when you're leaving. But it just has, has five tips on there whenever you come to a passage that it can help you out. But one of my favorites is number two, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So where else does the Bible explain this word or idea? What cross-references connect to this passage? That way you can use passages that are clear to help understand the ones that are less clear. So I am going to use self-control, and we're not going to go deep on Melchizedek today, because we're going to hear a lot about him in a few weeks. But here's a tip for you. You can come against the author of Hebrews a little bit. Say, "I'm I'm not dull of hearing. I'm ready to listen. Go check out Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. They are the only places before Hebrews that we hear about Melchizedek. And actually, this is on the pathway this week, which is also in your your handout every week and also available online. Um, Individuals can use this. Groups are using this. It's just got a handful of questions to help you dig deeper into the passage that we're on this week. And so that, what we just talked about, is right on here under the try it section. Go read Genesis 14, read Psalm 110, and just start to ask yourself... What is it that those two chapters and this idea about Melchizedek might have to do with Jesus? Sound fair? That way when we come back to it, you'll say, I'm not dull of hearing. I'm ready. I read it. I didn't understand it all, but I've got it in the back of my head and and we're good to go. So that's all we're going to say on Melchizedek for today. But that's that's your mission should you choose to accept it. Because the rest of the passage is essentially talking about the high priest more generally. Melchizedek is a specific example of it, and there's reasons for that. But as he talks through the high priest more generally, he wants us to understand how Christ fits into these qualifications. That for a Hebrew audience, for Jewish people, they've got tons of history with high priests. They know about the priest. They know about the high priest. They know about the sacrificial system. And then here comes these Jesus followers saying, oh yeah, that was about Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the high priest. Prove it. So look back at chapter 5, first couple of verses there. You'll notice that what he's actually outlining is like a super summary of some huge parts of the law that describe the priest and his role. That he's essentially giving the qualifications for the high priest. And so you picture this guy in his priestly garb. You know, he's wearing the breastplate that has one stone for each of the tribes of Israel that represents the people of God. Right? He's the guy that, like, the, the priest is the closest to God, right? At least in some physical sense, because he goes into the Holy of Holies. The high priest alone, one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, goes into the Holy of Holies. Where do you find a guy like that? I mean, he must be, like, super spiritual, right? Well, well check this out. Here are the qualifications. It says that every high priest is taken from among men. First qualification, has to be Human. Okay, is appointed for men and things pertaining to God. Okay, so he has to be a human being, but he has to be appointed by God. You don't get to volunteer for high priest, so don't come up to me after the service and say, hey, I I heard what you're saying about the high priest, I'd love to give that a try. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. They have to be appointed by God himself. So human being, appointed by God. Verse 2 says that he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Now that's interesting. Because so many times we get the picture in our head of our religious life that before we gather together, before we talk to God, before we ever risk doing something spiritual, we better like, get ourselves in the right place. We better fix ourselves up. I mean, I couldn't go to God if he knows what I've been doing. Well, this says it's exactly for those who are ignorant and going astray. It doesn't say that he should be compassionate on those who have gotten everything right because those are the really good ones and that's who we want to keep around. Compassion is needed because you and I too often... I'm sorry, it's not an insult. It's just reality, right? Sometimes we're ignorant and sometimes we're going astray. How wonderful to know that the high priest is meant to have compassion on those. Since, it says, he is also subject to weakness. So subject to weakness is actually a qualification to be the high priest. Now, this is really interesting to me. Because especially that word compassion... You know, I like to think that I'm a compassionate person. I, I want to be a compassionate husband. I want to be a compassionate father. And I, I found this great definition as I was studying for this, this week of what compassion means. I'll, I'll just read this to you Compassion is not being unduly disturbed by the errors, faults, failures, and sins of others, but bearing them gently. Isn't that cool? Oh, maybe I'm not that compassionate. (laughs) I want to be. But I am definitely disturbed by the errors, faults, failures, and sins of other people. I mean, even when I just think about in my own life as a parent, there are these moments. And and if you're a parent, I know you've been there. And um, you all had parents. So just show them some compassion as you remember this. Like there are times where I watch one of my kids do something that is, how can I put this? Let's use biblical language so it sounds really holy ignorant, and going astray. You know, I'm looking at this kid, and I'm watching this happen. It's like, how many times have we talked about this? And I'm, I'm being vague because it's not just one thing. There's like 30 of these, right? And I just, I cannot process in my head how this thing is happening. And I've had these moments where one of my children, they'll, they'll make this mistake. If I can be honest with you, this happened again yesterday. So, like, I wish this was like one time this happened, and then, but now I learned they come to me and say, I'm sorry. I'm like, I bet you are. Right? And I'm thinking, yeah, good for you. How do I know you're not going to do it again? Right? What, what, what are you going to do to prove to me that I should actually forgive you because this, this is ridiculous, you know? And in those moments, I feel like this is one of the places I understand God best as a father. There's actually a place in the Old Testament, Psalm 103, that says, as, the, as God... Let me get this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so when I had this moment, even even yesterday, with several of my kids, (laughs) I stop and I think, oh my goodness, how many times could the Lord look at me and say, are you kidding me? Talk about ignorant. How many times have I told you this? Are are you kidding me? Going astray again? How, How does your heart keep wandering? Didn't we already learn this lesson? What if in that moment I came to God for compassion and He said, No? What if in that moment I said, God, I'm sorry? And He said, Yeah, I bet you are. And just brushed me off. Then I realized, I need compassion. I am subject to weakness. I-, I want to show my compassion to my kids because I realize. And, and you, you've got them, you know it. Oh no, oh no, they're just like me. <laughs> he's, he's doing that because I do that. He's doing that because I used to do that. She's doing that because her brain works like mine does, you know. And you realize you need compassion too. You see, that's the picture that God has for his high priest. Because he's in a very unique position to stand before God on behalf of the people. To stand before God on behalf of people who have gone astray. And God wants the people to know that they don't have to be afraid to come to the high priest. They don't have to have trepidation that, well, what if, what if the priest says, too bad? What if the priest says, oh, you did what? I would never do that. that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now you need a priest who shows compassion. You need a high priest who says, I understand. I know how that feels. I've been there, too. I have the same temptations. Let's go talk to God about it. Let's get this right. In fact, it, it makes a big deal out of the fact that the, the high priest, even the high priest, is subject to weakness. That he's not up on some pedestal. He's not some more perfect person. He's a human like the rest of us. In fact, do you remember this picture? We used this a few times in our series through Amos just before this. Because in Amos day, they had built two golden calves, set them up at two false temples, and said... That kind of looks like God, right? Let's worship God with golden calves. Massive mistake. But part of the reason they should have known it was a huge mistake was because if you go back to the time of Moses, like Hebrews chapter 3 was talking about, when they come out of Egypt and out of slavery, Moses goes up the mountain to get the law from God, to, to get God's word to share with the people. And you know what the people do while they're waiting? They say, Hey, Moses has been gone for a while. Let's build a golden calf. Like literally that's their justification is Moses has been gone for a while. And say so they go to his brother, Aaron, who will become the first high priest. They bring him their gold and they say, make us a calf. And Aaron, Aaron says that he puts the gold in and a calf came out. I don't know, I don't know what happened. You know, just kind of here we are. That's why verse 3 of chapter 5 says... Because of this, he, the high priest, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. You know, there's something painful about that when you read those stories and you see Aaron's failure. There's something painful about reading through, you know, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, when it describes everything that a priest has to go through to even be prepared to serve the people because he's a sinner too. And yet I think there's something really kind of God by putting that in here. Something really, I I know this sounds weird to say in terms of like it's relating to someone's sin. But there's something kind of sweet about that. Because God forgave Aaron and God appointed Aaron as high priest. And you better believe from then on when someone comes to Aaron and says, I messed up big time. I need to make things right with my neighbor. I need to make things right with my spouse. I I, I need need to bring a a sacrifice. I need forgiveness. You know, to show up on the day of atonement and and lay their hands on the head of a goat that's going to take away the sins and and lay their hands on the head of the goat that is going to be killed for them. You know Aaron's going to say, hey, 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 I understand. I've been there. In fact, this is why all through human history, human beings set up these elaborate spiritual systems to try to figure out how do we get back into God's good graces, right? And and even what God sets up in the Old Testament, it it feels confusing sometimes, it feels elaborate. But part of what God is showing us is that all of this is building up to Jesus. And and that's why he's going to break this down for the next few chapters. What the sacrifices really mean and how they're fulfilled in Christ. What the high priest really means and how it's fulfilled in Christ. Because part of what this verse does, the fact that even even the first high priest messed up and needed his own sacrifice for forgiveness. Part of what that does is it gives us the craving. It points us to the need for a great high priest. Because they've heard of high priests before. But Hebrews says that Jesus is a great high priest. Now that's a new phrase. That's a new term. They haven't heard that. In fact, Check out v- verse 15 again. Verse 15 says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are. All right, so so far, he's the same as Aaron. He can sympathize with our weakness. He's been tempted like we are. He knows what it's like to be human. And yet, here's what makes Christ's difference. The only one, the only high priest of whom it can be said, yet without sin. You see, the fact that he sympathizes with us is not to give us a chance to say, well, you know, I messed up, but Jesus gets it, right? I mean, he was a guy too, and, you know, these things happen. It's no big deal, right? We don't want to go there. We don't want to get too cavalier because then that actually keeps us from obedience. Like if we just start to write it off, we're not really talking to Jesus about that. We're just figuring, I don't know, he'll, he'll be fine, right? God is love and all that kind of stuff. Instead, the, the picture here is that this makes him uniquely qualified to be the high priest worth holding fast to. Hold fast to your confession that Jesus is your great high priest. And I want you to hear, I've I've got that language in there specifically. Not just that Jesus is high priest. Okay? Not just that maybe he is who he says he is. It's your confession that he is who he says he is. It's your confession that he is your great high priest. That's what allows you to hold fast. That in the moments when you might feel like Aaron, where everything has gone sideways, this is the biggest mistake you've ever made, you don't know how there's any coming back from this. Is that a moment to let go of the great high priest? No, that's a moment to hold even tighter. To hold fast to the one who goes before God on your behalf, Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to hold fast You know, I was thinking about this because some of the stories that come to mind for me are like martyrs, right? You know, some of the great heroes of the faith. You know, people who have been through everything, faced everything, and somebody stares them down and say, if you believe in Jesus, you are going to die. And they do it. They say, I'm not abandoning Christ. I mean, that's a person who holds fast, right? Uh, Melissa and I have a friend in Illinois that she actually grew up in Bulgaria When it was part of the Eastern Bloc in the Soviet Union. And so Christianity had been outlawed. But her parents were Christ followers. She was just a little girl. And so she remembers how every week they would meet in secret at somebody's house. To worship Jesus and learn the Bible. I mean, can you imagine? Like... You and I wake up, and I'm, I'm super glad that all of you are here at Horizon, and you're watching us online, and we're hanging out together. But, like, you have your pick of, like, places to go worship, you know. Some of us are probably even worshiping in our own house right now, comfortably, not afraid. They were afraid every week, and, and she told us about the week that she remembers. Because they would never find out, like, until Sunday morning. They would get a message of whose house it was today. Because you can't risk that somebody might spill the beans during the week, and then the police show up. And she remembers the Sunday morning that they got all dressed up. They got all bundled up. You know, it's walking through the snow to get to this guy's house. And when they got there, all the windows were dark. He had been arrested because somebody found out it was his house today. And she doesn't actually even know whatever happened to him. But she knew he left a family behind. Because he was willing to gather people in the name of Jesus. And you think this is the moment, like, we've got to stop meeting together, right? And she's just a little girl at this point, so it wasn't even her say. But she remembers how her parents' faith got stronger after seeing that. That the next week, there was another house, and they met again. And I hear stories like that, and I think that is what it means to hold fast. No matter how the world challenges you not to give up what you believe about Jesus Christ. And yet I'll bet you that most of us in here haven't experienced anything quite like that. I am not worried at all that any of us are going to be arrested for singing songs with Neil and the band this morning. (laughs) I'm not, not feeling that fear. And yet I do think we constantly have opportunities not to hold fast. And while it may not come with that kind of a challenge, sometimes it's just sort of the ongoing pressure that life our culture, maybe our friends can put on us, where I say, I, I know I should hold fast, and I really mean to. I'm just, I'm just going to let go, not completely, just a little bit for a few minutes while I do this thing that really I, I know I shouldn't be doing, but I can't stop myself. Uh, and then I'll hold fast to Jesus again uh, until I-, I might let go for just a few minutes while I worry about this thing. Or I feel unforgivable about that thing. Or I hold on to my unforgiveness about this thing. And I mean, he's totally still the high priest. Don't get me wrong. I just loosened my grip a little bit. See, that's where Hebrews is constantly giving us encouragement. You've seen these words like, don't drift. Persevere. Diligence. Hold fast. Right? That you can almost, like, you don't have to do it right now. I know I'm doing it because I don't care if I look silly, but like, Flex those muscles, that, that this is what I believe about Jesus, and I am not go- letting go, and you can try to tug it from me, but I'm going to pull it back because this is my confession. And so I know, like, as we go through this passage, we're talking about confession, we're talking about priests. It's the kind of language that a Jewish audience would hear, and they go, well, I know all about confession, and I know all about priests. I mean, can you imagine growing up in a religious family where priests and confession are a regular part of your family rhythm? You know, for a lot of us, that doesn't sound that unfamiliar. So we want to be very clear about what Hebrews is talking about here. Okay? God gave a priestly system in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ has fulfilled. You, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've trusted his death, his burial, his resurrection, his work for your forgiveness and your salvation, you have one priest. A great high priest, Jesus Christ, any other man, any other woman, any, anybody else who says that that they go before God on your behalf, that you need them to get there it 's just counterfeit, and, and Hebrews is going to lay that out seriously for like the next four or five chapters. Because he wants it to be so clear that you don't come here today and say, yes, Jesus sounds awesome. And also, though, I'm going to do this sacrifice and I'm going to go talk to the high priest because, like, just in case. No, Jesus is better. Jesus is everything. He's altogether wonderful and he is your great high priest. So what does it mean to hold fast to your confession? Well, the word confession comes from the Greek word hamalogeo. So homo meaning the same, logeo means to speak, it just means to say the same thing as. So when it comes to confessing sin, which it is, it is is good to be able to do those things with each other, to, to find accountability, to get encouragement, but essentially all that means is that I get on my knees before God and say, God, you're right. Instead of, well, you know, we all make mistakes, well, it's just kind of my personality, well, at least it's not bad as that thing, I mean, wow, talk about a mess, that guy, that lady, but I mean, and I probably shouldn't, but now this homologue confess means I get on my knees before God and I'm saying, God, you're right. This is sin and I can't save myself. I can't overcome it. I can't be good enough. I need Jesus. And so that's the context of like confessing sin. But it also has to do with your beliefs, And that our belief becomes our action. Like the action is what proves that I really did believe it. So that when I confess, when I hold fast to my confession, I'm saying, God, you're right about who Jesus is. God, you're right about why he came. God, you're right about what Jesus says about me. Like, you guys have heard me talk. I deal with anxiety sometimes and what will creep into my head is there will be thoughts like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if God this? What if God that? What if I'm trying, but God is like really, and maybe he's mad at me, and I don't know, and you know, these things that can just sneak in there. For me to hold fast in that moment means, no, I have read enough Psalms, and I better go look one up right now. It says right here that he has made my heart steadfast. It says right here, he delights in me. It says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that, Jesus Christ king of heaven came down to show me amazing grace not because man I really nailed it but because he delights in me and he delights in you and that is worth holding fast to see that is who our Jesus is that's why in verses 4 through 6 he starts to make the case for exactly how Jesus meets these qualifications He says, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who's called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, we've seen that. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, God says. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I told you we're not going to go there, but forever is a hint. That's a hint to why we need to talk about Melchizedek and not just Aaron. Because you notice he doesn't say this is Jesus was Aaron's son. He says Jesus is God's son. That even Jesus didn't appoint himself high priest. The Father did. And you realize if, if those were the qualifications, you've got to be human, got to be appointed by God, got to be compassionate and subject to weakness, we've seen all of them. That Jesus is God, but he became man. Right? And it's not because the priesthood was there and Jesus said, oh, if I'm going to be the priest, I've got to figure out to be human. It's because God knew he needed to be human and he was going to send him in the flesh. Which is why when he first set up the priesthood in the first place, he said we're going to make it a human being. Because I want them to start to get a sense of why that's so important before Jesus gets here. The whole thing was about him the whole time. He's human. He was appointed by God. He's compassionate to you and I. Because he was subject to weakness. He knows what it feels like to be here. And yet, he's the great high priest. Because he was also without sin. So all of this is painting the picture that he is not only our king forever, as we saw in chapter 1. But he is our priest forever. That is why we can come boldly to the throne. Because Jesus is your high priest forever. You catch the significance of this? Not for a little while, not for today, not for as long as you're doing things the right way, not like unless he gets bored of you, forever. There is a promise built into that that only God can keep. And it releases so much tension. A friend of mine named Michelle worked with her at the bookstore and seminary before she went on to be a published author And so I brought her book because she grew up in a Jewish household, doing all of the feasts, thinking about the sacrifices. Of course, they don't have the temple right now. But hearing all these things, celebrating these days. And what she found was, her her family was, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but they were very anti-Jesus. Like, he is not the Messiah, and I don't want to catch you talking about him. And so as they went through all of the feasts and the holidays that were meant to point to Jesus, she felt this incredible anxiety about being good enough. She talks specifically about the Day of Atonement in in this book. It's just called Moments and Days by Michelle Van Loon. And she talks about the Day of Atonement because that was one day every year where your job is like you spend like 10 days thinking about everything you've done wrong in the previous year so you can try to manage to confess all of that to the priest and then on the Day of Atonement it's taken away. And, And this is how she described it. I remember a deep sense of unease on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, each year. Had I repented enough? Had I done enough good deeds to merit God's gracious inscription in his book of life? And I remember as I read that, that's exactly what breaks if you don't have a high priest forever. If you don't have a once for all sacrifice. And Hebrews is going to go in that in the chapters to come. But when Michelle met Jesus, she felt a lot of what our readers of Hebrews would have felt ostracized by family who feel like you're turning your back on the faith. You're saying, no, I, I think this is the fulfillment of the faith. I think this is what we've been waiting for. And so she came back to process the Day of Atonement again, and I, and I love the words that she uses. So this is, this is for me, this is for you. She says that Jesus' perfect sacrifice fulfilled the once-a-year reckoning of sin at Yom Kippur and atoned for the sin that is at work daily in each of our lives. Instead of apprehension about whether we'll be inscribed in the book of life from year to year or day to day or moment to moment, Jesus' followers can embrace his fulfillment of this day with deep gratitude for mercy and grace. I I could take her word, embrace, and tell you that's what it means to hold fast. To come boldly because God's is not a throne of disgust. It's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of fatigue. I can't believe you're bugging me again. It's a throne of grace. And so verses 7 and 8, it told us that in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, knowing that he could be delivered from death. And so many scholars think this is describing a moment in Gethsemane, although the Gospels don't specifically describe him weeping this seems to capture those moments or moments like that. Now can you imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane weeping before the Father with vehement cries because he knows the weight that is on him and then faithfully walking through it. The Bible tells you time and time again, because of love. To go through the cross and through the resurrection so that you and I can have unlimited access to God through Jesus. Can you imagine this Jesus who shows this heartfelt emotion for you saying, please don't bug me. Oh my word, please don't tell me that that happened again. It just doesn't make sense anymore, does it? This is a Jesus who loves you so dearly that he wants us very clearly to understand in these verses that we can come boldly to a throne of grace. In fact, those last couple verses, that that part where he starts to tease us about Melchizedek, remember that part? Verse 9 says that he, having been perfected, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And we'll have a chance to dig into that word perfected more as Hebrews goes on, because it uses it about Christ. We've seen it a couple times already. It's going to use it about us. But in this moment, I just want you to catch that essentially what it means is he chose obedience. Right, That if he comes to earth to be our king and our Messiah and lives the perfect life and then backs out on the death, then he's not the perfect high priest. Then he's not the perfect sacrifice. But because of his obedience, he is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest to give, do you catch this again? Eternal salvation. Not for a little while, not unless you mess it up, not, well, we'll kind of see how it goes. Eternal salvation is the gift that he offers to those who obey him. You know, that, that we saw last week, right? We're not saved because of our obedience, but because of our salvation, because of our rest, we obey. We obey the one who obeyed for us. It's one of the sweetest things that you'll experience in your life as a Christ follower when you just think of his obedience for you. Then you say, okay, then, what do you want to do today, Jesus? I, I want to do it your way. That's the picture of the high priest that we have been given, that's the adoration of our Savior. So I want to let our key takeaway today, I actually just want to let it be verse 16 from chapter 4. So let me just read this to you again. Let us therefore, in light of our need, in light of who he is as high priest, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, not getting what we deserve for what we've done, and find grace, getting gifts and blessings we don't deserve to help in time of need. So I want to close with you in prayer, and as I do that, I'm going to leave just a few quiet seconds at the beginning of my prayer. And so I'd encourage you, if you were to come boldly to the throne of God's grace, right now, in those few quiet moments, what would you ask for from him? Forgiveness? Salvation? Maybe it's the salvation of a friend or a neighbor or a family member. Just say that name in your mind as you pray. Let him hear it boldly because his is a throne of grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we just come with hearts of gratitude. We come boldly to your throne right now. I don't know what is on each person's heart here, God. And the awesome part is that I don't have to. Because we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who goes before you on our behalf. So we present ourselves before your throne with these requests, Lord. In our time of need. That we might obtain mercy and find grace. God, would you just let that wash over us in this moment. And we will thank you for all of it. In Jesus' name alone. Amen. I want to tell you guys, you know, if you had a name on your heart right now, I feel like those are the moments my heart like breaks the most when I remember that name. Keep praying for that person. But I also want to tell you like that name, that person you just thought of, that is a huge part of why Horizon is here. Sometimes we'll say that we are a mission, not a church. Because you guys are the church. The church is the people that gather together. But we're on a mission here. And that name you just thought of is part of it. And that's why we talk about how we want to comfortably connect our friends, our neighbors, our family. And so just before you go, I've got one short video where our family ministry director, Pastor Ryan Ventura, he's going to share with us one of these opportunities that we finally get a chance to do again, where maybe it's that person that you invite to this thing. So... He's kind of a funny guy, so let's check it out together. Hey dads, are you looking for an exciting way to kick off the new school year for your family? Not really. So let's try this again. Hey dads, do you like sports cars, pizza, and golf? Well, of course. Would your kids enjoy Kona ice and inflatable bouncy houses? Yeah, they would love that, (laughs) amazing. Would your wife enjoy freshly made smoothies and connecting with her friends i mean that would make me like husband of the year that'd be incredible would it be even better if it cost you nothing that would be amazing well if this sounds amazing to you as well then head to the horizon website or app to register your family for our family fun night on saturday august 14th 6 to 8 p.m and feel free to invite the neighbors to join the fun as well So definitely check that out. I I tell you, I'm there for the food trucks. I'm there to see all of you and to spend time together. That'll be good. But I'm there for the food trucks. Um, But check that out. If that sounds fun to you, and definitely this is one of those things that we're putting it on, high quality, lots of fun, so that maybe the person you thought of, this is a great chance to invite them, too. So definitely check out the website. You know, registration will be an important part of that so that we make sure we don't have, like, a food truck that brought 20 burgers for 1,000 people or whatever. But definitely don't miss that opportunity. Would love to see you there. Loved seeing you here today. And we'll see you back next week. Thank you for coming.